0: Father, thank you for this morning, Uh, the Word of God is powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is able to pierce right into the motivations uh, why we do what we do, able to uh, discern our thoughts. Father, thank you for the power of your presence among us, and uh, we're grateful for this uh, day when we remember... uh, not only Pentecost, but what Pentecost, Pentecost did by way of the preaching, by way of the sending of the Spirit, and the formation of community. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, um, Acts chapter 2. Thank you, Bailey, for reading. And uh, we're going to look one more time at this beautiful church, the beautiful church. Um, I have been, over the years, encouraged by this passage Over and over, uh, to remind myself of the beautiful church, Acts two forty-two, verse uh, through forty-seven. It's a beautiful description of life in the church. A bit idealistic, perhaps, uh, but it is also um, a a glimpse of what the Spirit does in forming God's people. Um, I brought this morning a uh, a magazine called Cooking Light, and. I think you can all see this um, um today we're going to enjoy some good food by a talented chef, uh, Brittany. And uh, I uh am amazed at this magazine because of how attractive they make the food look. You can only imagine they spent a lot of time preparing these uh these images. Um look at this sandwich. This can you you can see look, this sandwich is just massive. It's just you know, and uh I, I can I get I gain calories just staring at it, uh, but uh, the reason why I brought this in was because it, it sort of reminds me when I am just wanting to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? That's my the extent of my culinary abilities. Um, I look at these ma- these pictures and they they inspire me. They uh, in 20 minutes I can have grilled salmon with white bean and arugula salad. 20 minutes. Two hours, <laughs> but I'm I, I, I'm 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 impressed with the 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 offerings here and the promises. The promises: a barbecued po- pork tenderloin with bell pepper relish, uh, white chicken marinade, uh, marinades grilled onions. Uh, It just goes on and on. Seared mahi-mahi with a tomato cucumber cucumber relish, 25 minutes. So uh, look at this picture, and it's the idealistic, see, it it just makes you want to engage in the, there's a vision here of beautiful, beautiful food, right? It draws you in. Makes that drive-through at Taco Bell look kind of meager, doesn't it, right? See, that's the idea, right? So And I guess this is just a a deep appreciation for food, right? It's a love of food. Um, There's a funny thing about food shows. I don't know if you ever know. I've shared this with you, but they've done research. You know, we have 24-hour food networks, right? We have more than one. I don't know how you can watch multiple channels at once, but there's more than one 24-hour food show. And now you would think that this would then, because they're teaching you how to, to cook, right? If I got, right? They're teaching you how to cook. So you would think then that Americans would be cooking more, right? Do you know they've done studies that it's only increased the, imo- the amount of cooking at home something less than 5%. In other words, hardly anyone cooks based upon the TV shows they, they watch. That we're watching something. We're more than glad that they're able to do it, and we go and we make our peanut butter jelly sandwich. That we are not actually engaged in the creation of something that is beautiful, and of course, it takes work. I'm looking at people who I know you love food, and you know it does take effort, right? In life in the church, life in the church, what we're seeing here is sort of an effortless love for the body of Christ. See that? Did you see how smoothly it reads? And they were devoting themselves, the apostles teaching into fellowship and to prayer and the breaking of bread. And they were giving and exchanging and there was this overflow of love. And it's just this, it is this delight in cooking. See, it is not labor intensive. It's a delight in fellowship. It's an overflow of the spirit of God in restoring relationships And this morning, I want to just re-look at, and just take a look again at this beautiful church and talk for a moment about what it looks like to have a gospel culture. We are in a tradition, uh, I think most of you are aware of this, a tradition that holds a high regard for theological precision and theological training, training of teaching elders in particular, strong need for educational background etc and uh, it is a rigorous uh, discipline and uh, theology is taken seriously I'm not supposed to be sort of shooting from the hip up here and sort of making things up as we go that there is a a way to understand the scriptures a way to be trained in this and So when you are shopping, if you are, for instance, short-term on the island and you may find yourself in a new situation, you're going to be watching for doctrinal correctness, and that's very important. Doctrine is very important. But what goes along with doctrine is if the gospel is rightly understood, if the gospel is rightly grasped, and uh, this is a constant challenge, If the gospel is rightly understood, then there is a gospel culture that comes along with it. A gospel culture. And this means the the total human reality of what we're doing is in a close proximity to 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 what God would have for us as we understand the gospel. So um, for instance, the gospel is very is very generous. God is generous with his mercy. Uh, so are we generous with, uh, with our understanding of that, and do we actually enfold people? Are we, are we welcoming people? Are we enfolding people? Last week I told you about the, the, I thought the best announcement I've ever heard in church was someone who got up in front of a church and said, I'm heading out for Chinese food afterwards. I'd love to have any of you who are outsiders or you feel like you're an outsider, uh, would you come and join me because I want you to become an insider as soon as possible. That was the announcement. And so this was something—is his little ministry of just welcoming people? I'm sure there are other people involved with it. The—is inf- God an enfolding God? God—is God generous? Is God uh, gracious? Is He uh, welcoming the the broken and uh, the bruised? And the answer is yes. And so He is. This then creates a gospel culture in the church. So it, is the church a welcoming, enfolding uh, entity? And so I encouraged uh, you who may be introverted, which is roughly 50% of the population, introverted uh, folks, take a deep breath because you will be perhaps moving out of an area where you feel comfortable, uh, but God's Spirit will be with you to reach out uh, and embrace and welcome people. Extroverts, uh, you also need the Spirit of God to begin to listen to people. Uh, and to uh, not always be the center of the conversation and begin to ask questions of other people. Uh, So, again, this is a passage where these folks have entered into the joy of the gospel, and it is now spilling over into their relationships. And it's a deeply encouraging, encouraging passage. They have a great expectation that they will be taken care of in their personal need they are okay the spirit of God has been given to them they've received the forgiveness of sins through Jesus and they are now um, able in their own self identity to now uh, uh, not use people but to actually minister to people and give to people so that the role of people is uh, in the words of Ed Welsh they need people less and they love them more People are not part of their okay machine. They have found their okayness through through Jesus. So this is the the power of the Spirit moving among us, moving in and through our relationships. There's a reaching out. There's an unfolding. There's an embracing. It's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful dish. It's a beautiful dish, uh, and it does take uh, conscious effort. Uh, and ult- ultimately, really, what's uh, at stake here really is a great humility is has been formed in these people they are so uh, blown away by the forgiveness that's in jesus that they are grateful for everything grateful for everything their bread their possessions they have they are rich they are wi- rich people they are wealthy in jesus and now their their physical possessions they are their it is uh it is a joy, joy to minister to other people. So, humility. So, creating this gospel culture. We started our worship service with uh, a call, a certain tone, a certain uh, feel, a certain vibe, a call to welcome all those who are poor, to welcome those who are strangers, to welcome those who are needy, to welcome those who are looking for friendships. So the call of the church, the welcome of the church, is very, very important. And the welcome goes beyond what the pastor says uh, uh, to get the church service started. The welcome is, throughout the whole service, this is a place where uh, needy uh, people who need God's reassurance can find access to this. Uh, This is a place of welcome and uh, a deep reception by us to other people, and there's a sense that God will receive me as a sinner. We are all hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We are all uh, extending, opening our doors as a church, and we're offering the welcome of God. So this is a, again, I'm just sort of around the edges of Acts chapter 2 here, verse 42 and 43, and those, those texts there tell us of the generous spirit of these people. This is, this is something for us to, to keep looking at, the vision of the early, early church worship and their, and their weekly practices. They were unashamed of their need, and they were convinced that God would be faithful and, and present with them. Let's remind ourselves what is the gospel. And I've borrowed a few uh, some ideas from a, a gentleman named Ray Ortland Jr., who visited the island about five months ago and spoke to a group of pastors. And it's beautiful, his next uh, three ideas are from him. What is the gospel? What is what is the gospel? It is the biblical message of divine grace for the undeserving. God, through the perfect life, atoning death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus, rescues all his people from the wrath of God into peace with God with a promise of the full restoration of his created order forever, all to the praise of his glorious grace. That's the gospel. Secondly, what is gospel culture? Gospel culture is the shared experience of grace. The shared experience of grace for the undeserving. The corporate incarnation of the biblical message in the, and here it is, the corporate incarnation, listen to that, the corporate incarnation in the relationships, in the vibe, in the feel, in the tone, in the values, in the priorities, in the aroma, in the honesty, in the freedom, in the gentleness, in the humility in the cheerfulness, in the total human reality of a church defined and sweetened by the gospel. It's the beautiful church, and the aroma of the gospel is, is now experienced by, by all. Now, why does this matter? Our churches must preach gospel doctrine and live out gospel culture simultaneously because faithfulness to the gospel requires more than doctrinal purity it also requires relational beauty in our churches it's possible to preach true doctrine but also it's possible for a very ugly anti-gospel culture to exist within a church Every church, is, every church culture is communicating something, and if a church is not positively communicating the gospel, both by what it says and by what it is, then the church risks unsaying. This is the words from Ray Ortlund Jr. Then the church risks unsaying by its reality what it is saying in its theory. So it's uh I'll give you I'll give you an example of something that happens to me when I'm preaching and it's a, it's uh sort of an odd thing in church I don't know why because you you're in sort of this exhortation mode and you really want people to hear you know and you really get fired up and so there's a a strange sort of tone and it doesn't happen only with me but I've also watched it with other preachers the passage is actually a really good passage it's actually like it's like hey this is good this is good news but the tone is negative <laughs> the tone is like something terrible's happened, or these people are really bad people, or in other words, there's a scowl on the person's face, and it's rejoice in the Lord always, rejoice, and it, it always comes off as a negative sort of thing, is, is that, everybody tracking with that, that you see, you can sense a disconnect, see what I'm saying, it'd be like a musician playing some nice, beautiful, light piece, but there's a scowl on their face, they don't seem like they're enjoying it very much, right, so we can have, you can have sort of the, the sheet music there, and it's correct, it's accurate. But there's also the melody that's supposed to be in your heart. Does that make sense? So you have the sheet music down, the technical, beautiful, precise. uh, Wow! But it's not translated into the life. See what I'm saying? And we all experience this, and we all feel this in our. We all feel this, right? So we need a place where we could be safe to admit this, safe to admit our struggles, safe to admit our our failing but also bolstered in God's receptivity of us, God's uh, rejoicing in us, and his embracing of us. We need to place this safe. So faithfulness to the gospel requires more than doctrinal purity. It requires a simultaneous embodying of of gospel relational beauty. And every church culture is communicating something. Uh, And so Peter... In Galatians chapter 2, was confronted with his anti-gospel ugly legalism. Uh, He was refusing to eat with Gentiles at a church potluck. Uh, Doesn't say potluck in Galatians 2, but it's something like that. So he was refusing, and the Apostle Paul, in his practice, Peter was denying the gospel. This is a big deal. We don't want another legalistic religion running around the New Testament landscape. There's plenty of them. So the Apostle Paul comes and confronts Peter. If you gave Peter a quiz on gospel doctrine, he'd get an A. But in his life, he was not living out that gospel community, and he, he, was, he, was not, he did not understand the gospel. So, for instance, if you are self-righteous, if you're prideful, uh, and I, I'm in that category. Uh, if you are, if, you, if these are the, your sort of instinctual way of, if you are defensive, defensive. Someone offers you a, a critique, a criticism. If your stance is you must protect your reputation, you must protect who you are because everything's riding on this. Don't you understand I work so hard to establish this reputation? And this, this, you can't, I can't live or bear with this. And so we destroy those who may critique us. That's someone who doesn't understand the gospel. In the gospel, you have survived the most radical critique ever possible. In the gospel, God brought you through judgment and showed you across what was deserving of your sins. And by his grace, you have survived his judgment, his critique, his criticism. And he has welcomed you as a Heavenly Father, brought you into his family, adopted you as his child, now no longer holds you, uh, uh, holds these sins against you. He, you are adopted and secured, given the gift of the Spirit. You are truly a child of God, and there is no criticism that you can receive in this world that will ever destroy who you really are in Jesus. And so you can willingly receive critique and criticism because it will not. It is not what defines you and defines it isn't, it isn't your life. It certainly is important and you need to do better at your job perhaps. Okay, right. But it isn't who you are to so closely identify your your identity with your job or your whatever your performance might be or may not be. It is in Jesus that you are beautiful. See? You see, this is freedom. This is freedom. This is the freedom and power of the gospel. Peter could not at least at this stage in his life, he could not get around the racial framework by which he understood life. The only people he could truly be himself with, the only people he could truly associate with, the only people he could truly uh, you know, enjoy were people of his own background. And the Apostle Paul saw him not understanding the gospel, and he was confronted and recorded for us in Galatians chapter 2. So I think all of us have experienced ugly church cultures, difficult things, and I can guarantee you that inevitably it comes down to some misunderstanding, some problem with understanding the gospel. There's a lack of humility. There's a lack of Something that is not helping the relationships. So, in our culture, we can nullify the gospel. Acts 2 47. Listen to this beautiful description the devotedness of the people to continual teaching. This means that they were, for, they were continuing to say, I need to learn, be humble. I need to be teachable. I need to continue to say, "Lord, make me as a child before the apostles and their instruction." Notice then the breaking of. Notice then to the fellowship. You, uh, this is so true. You cannot survive as an individual Christian. It's sort of an oxymoron. You, you, you will dry up like a coal that's put away from the fire. You will just slowly fizzle out. The gathering of the church is a very special thing. It is a way in which we are encouraging each other, strengthening each other, speaking goodness into each other's lives. Fellowship, the breaking of bread. Most commentators, again, say this is the Lord's Supper. This is the, the, the embodiment of, of God's grace in Jesus among his people regularly, always remembering the purpose and reasons for the fellowship itself. And then prayer, the continued life of prayer among God's people. Something to think about, that we would have an ongoing prayer ministry in the church. Some of you are deeply gifted and strengthened in this area, uh, but that's something for us to significantly think, think about. Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. But the be- beautiful passage, uh, verse 44, and all who believed were together. I love that. All who believed were together. And had all things in common. Notice the all things. The ground at the cross is level. No one has any uh, righteousness. All of us have an intense and very, and our need is is very uh, similar. So, the life of the church is expressive of an embodied gospel culture, the total human reality. Um, I continue to. Uh, enjoy and am grateful for our form of government. Uh, it may not be uh, that interesting of a subject for you. It's called polity. Our former government m- means that I'm really not the boss. Our former government means, well, I, I'm the moderator of elder meetings. Um, maybe our elders defer to me in my opinion. Maybe I have more experience on something. Maybe. Uh, but you know what? It's a plurality of elders. I work in a team situation. I need their correction, I need their perspective, I need their wisdom. It, it, it is not possible for one person to know and understand or embody enough wisdom to lead uh, to lead a church. So it has been and it's a remarkable thing also just two weeks ago I was in San Jose for a Presbytery meeting which is a gathering of elders regionally, Utah, Hawaii, and Northern California. and to have 50 elders in this room, uh, deliberating on matters um, was remarkable. And it's, it's slow going, 50 people right, trying, to, trying to wrestle with a subject. And it takes you know, about an hour or more, and hopefully we have it efficient. But it's remarkable. At first you feel perplexed, how are we going to move through this? And to watch how God, through his spirit, brings wise counselors, thoughts on it, and the issue at least is done as much as we can with wisdom in the Holy Spirit and uh, so it is a plurality. See, it's a plurality of elders, and uh, it is hopefully a, a, a an experience of of, of not sort of power hungry individuals, or uh, or anything else, but great humble people who um, God has gifted uh, for a certain task in the church. Uh, Francis Schaefer used to talk about orthodoxy of doctrine and orthodoxy orthodoxy of community so um, I can only say that um, this is of course the goal this is the, the, the cover of the, the magazine this is the, the beautiful salad uh, and, and it will take take time it will take our own personal repentance to care about the church to love the church to build relationships with one another to reach out to one another to move out of our comfort zones to move out of our uh, own patterns of, of that may be comfortable to us, extend a welcome to people, uh, encourage you to use hospitality as much as possible. If you don't feel comfortable having someone over at your house or your apartment, uh, use a Starbucks or someplace to just say, hey, I'd like to connect with you, would love to get to know you. Uh, and and, and that's, a, that's just a beautiful way to enfold and welcome people. So the tone the vibe, the Holy Spirit among us producing humble hearts. And, of course, Jesus is really at the center of all of this. So we struggle, we struggle forward. Let me conclude with this thought. R- really, what our worship service is doing, uh, the, if you notice, there's a, God calls us to worship uh, we give praise for his presence, and then we move through confession. We hear the assurance of pardon. You, you kind of get this back and forth. God says something. We say something back. And really what we're doing, we're, we're, we're repenting. We hear the gospel. Uh, we might repent during a song because something is there is beautiful about God, and we now realize what we should be thinking about God. The process of God's presence with us, Uh, is underway and the gospel is heard three four five different times throughout the service perhaps even that many times before you hear the sermon and here's what's happening you are in practice a kind of liturgy you are in the, the language of Colossians you are putting on Christ like a garment you're learning how to put on clothing. I don't know if you had to put on some, something new, like a snowsuit or a snowmobile suit or something strange. Maybe some of you at work have to wear something. And you have to sort of get used to this thing and how it zippers and that kind of thing, all this new stuff, right? Well, we're kind of getting used to the zippers and the buttons and the new way. The new way of living is we are actually practicing it even in our worship service. We're learning how to put on the new garments of Christ, you see. And hopefully it produces in us humility and, and a sense of awe, see. A sense of awe. This is better than I thought. Well, I thought I had it all down last week. Nope, it's this, this Sunday, and then and it's going to be next Sunday. You're putting on the garments of Christ continually through the practice of life in the church even our fellowship even our having lunch together is a practice you see it's a practice and we're learning through these habits learning through habits how to live the Christian life how to form new new habits and uh, excuse me, uh, Acts chapter 2 42, these are new habits see a new, the new Israel is forming new habits in which they are now going to put on Christ through these habits and uh, it's, a be- it's a beautiful thing all right, let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these moments where we can learn about what it means to put on Christ, that he could be at the center of our worship, that our welcome could be for those who struggle. Father, that we struggle forward. We stumble